This Westwards mini masterclass is a production of Westwards, the Western Sydney Literature Organisation. For more information on Westwards and what we do, please go to westwards.com.au. Welcome to today's mini masterclass with me, James Roy, from Westwards. I am a program manager at Westwards. It's been a little while since our last mini masterclass. There are reasons, but I'm not going to go into what they are right now. Uh, I am today talking with Charmaine Ledden-Lewis, a friend and illustrator and somebody who I travelled to Orange with recently, and we'll talk about that in just a minute. Um, But there's some other stuff that we are going to discuss today that is maybe a little bit harder to discuss. I say that because, um, well, I'll, I'll let Charmaine explain in a moment, but Charmaine, thank you for being on the podcast. Um, you're a, now, I always get the the nation wrong, don't I? Is it Bunjalung? I am. Bunjalung, a Bunjalung woman. Uh, illustrator, um, <clears throat> illustrated Bruce Pascoe's book, Found, and also the book about um, Kathy Freeman. Born and also a little book called uh, Charlie Swim, which is a lovely, lovely book. Yeah. Look at you go. Jim. Oh, look at me go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All those, all those hours in the car had, didn't go to waste. Good chats, good yarns. Good chats, yeah, yeah. Um, you are a lot of fun to travel with, I have to say. We, we, had a, we had a lot of fun, didn't we, on those two trips? I always hurt coming back, and in a good way. My cheeks. <laughs> my abs from laughing too hard yes yeah it's always fun so what we were doing in orange is we were um working at the orange lands council or in conjunction with them doing some holiday programs uh with some of the kids out there mm-hmm. and there is a publication coming based on that once i get my bottom into gear and actually <laughs> do some more work on that and it was nice seeing them um they interviewed some of the aunties they did. That, how that how did you it. find that experience? I, I, I found that really beautiful. I found it um, really beautiful that kids had the opportunity to sit down with elders and perhaps they wouldn't um, otherwise. Perhaps, you know, I think we're all busy in our day-to-day life and we, you know, kids run around, they want to look at screens, they want to watch TV, they want to fight with each other. I don't know, am I describing my kids right now? Um, but I, I think we all get so caught up in the day-to-day that uh, when we went out there, what was really lovely was the opportunity that kids had to sit down with elders and ask them questions and learn about what it was like for them. I think the kids perhaps got an idea that the elders were kids once as well mm. and what was that like for them. And what do we perhaps take for granted? What do we have that's perhaps better? What did they have that was better? So it was a really nice reflection, I thought. Because some of the aunties, um, some of the aunties were from the stolen generations. Others talked mm. about growing up in a home that was very stable and, and having a, a slightly different childhood and upbringing. Um, but all of them spoke with great passion about the places in which they were, f- mm. that they were from, and yeah. the land and the country, the land and, and also their families and all of those mm. things. Which is something I guess I want to get to. Now, this may not really fit in with the well. It will. We'll make it fit because. We, <laughs> but you were telling me that yesterday you were in Sydney for an event. I'm I'm, I'm right to call it an event because an event implies something that's arranged because it's. 
something that is joyful and, and mm-hmm. but this was quite the opposite of that what, what was what? It, well it was called a national day of action and I find that an interesting um, term to use uh, but it was a vigil service for Cassius Turvey mm. um, for those who are still unaware of who Cassius Turvey is or was Cassius Turvey was a 15 year old boy who was beaten to death walking home from school in his school uniform. Uh, now there's there's a couple of things that um, struck me firstly as uh, a mother, as a black woman um, and as a citizen of Australia uh, there, there were some really hard things to take away from that and I know that mob has been in a state of shock and mourning since we started hearing about it but we only started hearing about it uh, through uh, our our channels through NITV through SBS to some degree but to social media massively on social media it went viral on social media amongst our mob so that's how and then the project got hold of it and then maybe it went a little bit more mainstream but it was it was very much underground at that stage wasn't yeah well nobody was really talking about it or had heard about it um, until a couple of days after he died. So he was beaten, Um, he uh, was then treated at hospital, then he was sent home, then I believe he, uh, I think he had a seizure or a a hemorrhage at home and was taken back to hospital, was put into an induced coma, um, and then he died. Mm. Uh, And we heard about it, uh, I think it was two days after he died. Like that's, that's brutal, that's something that's happening in our country mm. and it's not even being reported and the people who were reporting it there were some champions uh you know leading this information dispersion Narelda Jacobs um you know an incredible black woman and journalist uh, she was down in Sydney last night as well at the vigil and she had some really powerful things to say uh about the humanity of our country um but it was it, it happened it happened in Australia and it happened to First Nations people. So, if I may, what I, what I will say is um, this feels like it is a black issue at the moment. It feels like it is a mob issue, a mob problem. But collectively, we are all Australians. And if any child is walking home from school, minding their own business, hanging out with their friends, and they get brutally attacked and beaten and they die, that's an Australian problem. It's no, it's not, it's not just mob. So you went to this, this event, this vigil, and um, people spoke, and you're mm-hmm. saying that uh, a lot of, a number of people you spoke to on the way down didn't have any idea that mm. this had taken place. But I'd, I'd like to kind of shift this slightly to arts practice if you like I mean mm-hmm. I know that your your illustrations for example one you did for Bruce Pascoe that book mm-hmm. um, and Charlie Swim I mean the one about Kathy Freeman is very much about um, an, an indigenous woman who became one of the most famous Australians by overcoming so many obstacles by overcoming obstacles and all the rest mm. I know that we have talked <clears throat> on our many on our many drives and trips and mm-hmm. di- lun- dinners and the rest, mm-hmm. and I know that 
people I work with at Westworth as well talk about the fact that artists <coughs> of colour oftentimes would just like to be able to be treated as an artist and let's not make it the colour thing. Let's not, mm-hmm. you know. Having said that, mm-hmm. do you feel that as a, as a woman of colour with, with what is an increasingly strong platform, Mm. That you have some kind of, is it an obligation you feel to raise these things in in a public forum, mm. or is it something that you just want to touch on? And I mean, how how do you see your place in as an artist, as an artist activist, if you like? Sure, great. Because question. I mean, I know that in my own practice, there are things that I've written about where I I want young readers if not to have a an answer about this stuff to at least be aware of the complexities of mm. things like you know the Rwandan genocide and mm. not even just that one in particular but generally how mm. how tribalism leads to when it's unfitted leads to chaos and yeah. carnage and so yeah um but at the end of the day I I can always fall back and say look really what I'm trying to do is tell a, an interesting story where do, where do you fit in all that great question um and you know what it's uh, an answer that I feel has developed um, on this very sort of, uh, you know, can I still say that I'm new to this? I still feel like I'm a bit new to it. Um, oh, I'd say you're... A couple of years in. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, I, 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 um, I won the Keston Indigenous Award um, and the book that I did with Bruce Pascoe was... Uh, the, the subtext was very loud and clear to me as Stolen Generation. It was a Stolen Generation story and it was mm. an opportunity to um, provide Australia, not just children, but Australia uh, with an opportunity, a gentle opportunity to um, to listen and to, to learn. Uh, the next book that fell into my lap was Kathy's book, uh, Born to Run, and uh, at the core of that is uh, a, a child who dreamt big and achieved what she wanted to achieve despite the hurdles that she faced. No pun intended, of course, because it wasn't a <laughs> Absolutely no pun intended. Yeah. Um, then there was Charlie Swim, and Charlie Swim uh, is about the bravery and altruism of uh, an Indigenous man. He could have not been an Indigenous man. It could have been anyone doing something brave, but he was uh, an Indigenous man. And in the book, uh, towards the end of the book, uh, you learn that he was not uh, recognised by the Australian government for his actions, for his heroism. Uh, in fact, there's some really deplorable newspaper articles written about him how and how he could almost be compared to a white man. Um, my research for that book was uh, incredible and you know the, the slavery that went on in Broome. Anyway, the... well, it goes along with all those stories that we know now, of, that we've heard people talk about of guys who went and fought mm-hmm. in the ADF, <clears throat> and then when they came back, they weren't allowed in the RSL. Because exactly in the same sort of exactly, but they're they're true stories, mm-hmm. and I think so. So these books uh, have been uh, wonderful opportunities for me. I I haven't sought these books out; they've come to me and. As a fellow bookmaker, you can appreciate that that's pretty cool when somebody says, I want to work with you. Mm. Um, so these books have come along and I have um, seized the opportunity to work on them. Through this experience, uh, I have realised that in my position, um, it, I feel that it, there is an importance 
to provide the world with books that explore these issues because if if somebody doesn't do that then then they're untold they remain untold and we don't grow as a society we don't become better um to quote a mutual friend toby riddle uh toby was talking at the blue mountains writers festival uh that we were both at recently and he was saying in his beautiful way that um the way he looks at work is how can i give how can i give in my work and i think that's true of his work uh the books that i do i i'd like to think that how can i give back to my culture how can i give to australia how can i give to humanity <clears throat> to make to make the world a better place so uh is it is it something that i choose yes now i do um i i realize that if i do have uh, a platform however big or small it is uh it's an opportunity and if if mob make up three percent of the population then I, I think every every black person in Australia feels a duty or a desire to, to speak up. If you can, you should. Silence is violence. <laughs> That's what everyone's been saying at Cassius's yeah. vigils, and it's true. I mean, what... This feels like a Dorothy Dixon kind of question, but what can... As an illustrator, what can you do to to kind of bring make that Venn, give that Venn diagram a bigger middle section if you like between indigenous Australians and non-indigenous Australians or um, the Cassiuses of this world and the kids who who potentially will will or won't inflict violence mm. on someone like Cassius I'm, I'm putting that very clumsily but no no I um, understand you know what what can what can you do what realistically what can you do as an illustrator i like to think that um i like to think that art has the ability to um to elicit uh feelings in somebody without them realizing it i feel that you can look at art and if art speaks to you you will you will learn things about it and about the world around you without even realising. And that goes uh, for all art, doesn't it? Music and literature mm -hmm. and everything. Everything. Something can just hook you, whether it's something you see, whether it's something that you hear, uh, something that you watch, whatever it is. If, if it's something that moves you, it breaks through your barriers, uh, whatever your barriers might be, and your barriers might be prejudice against something or a predisposition to... Uh, you know hate something or or be closed to something and i think art has that power to to break through those barriers and challenge challenge you at your core in a way that perhaps somebody telling you how to think won't be successful so uh, the other thing with illustrations is you are speaking to with, with the books that i do a much younger audience and I hope for our future. We, um, I, I feel like in many ways we perhaps can't change uh, the perceptions of older generations in Australia. We've seen that with the way uh, our politics go and the way voting has gone and in the past, but uh, children are our hope. I know that that's cliche, but there's truth in that. Children are the future and if we can uh, inspire children uh, to think with 
heart and empathy they already have all of that they already do all of that but if we can strengthen that and give them examples of this is where the world is broken don't don't let it be broken anymore this is how you can avoid avoid it being broken or this is you know the simple fixes that you can do in your lifetime does that make sense yeah it does um it's going to sound like a really kind of is a softball or a curveball? I'm not sure. Um, <laughs> better up. Better up. Yeah, let's go. Um, do you get tired of being asked about this stuff? No, not at all. Not at all. Because, as I was saying to you earlier, catching the train down to Town Hall yesterday and being on the light rail and stopping off uh, to, to get off at Town Hall and, and other people noticing uh, on that light rail, oh, there's a demonstration, there's a protest, there's a rally, there's something on there but hardly anyone on that light rail knowing what that was about, clearly that says that we still need to speak up. Uh, and, and to answer your question before, yes, I, I think it's, it, you know, every, every member of Australia who has a conscience, uh, whether you be black or white or anything in between, um, it's your duty, like the work that you do um, as well with your books, with, you know, with mm. genocide and, and telling telling those stories when you recognize that there is a travesty taking place you need to you need to talk about it right you need to share that well it's the same thing and so but do you ever kind of just go because i remember i mean i may have to edit this out if you have a problem with me saying it but remember when we first the first time we went out to orange yeah. on the first one and we had the coffee on the way out and yeah and you you know, to your great credit, looked me in the eye and said, did you only invite me on this because I'm an Indigenous illustrator? <laughs> and I said yes and no, because mm. we, we wouldn't dream of going working with a whole group of Indigenous kids with with a gringo like me and uh, and, um, <laughs> and, uh, and another gringo illustrator, because that's just not... Is gringo not a good word? I don't know. <laughs> I, I don't know. I kind of feel like that might be politically incorrect. I'm okay. not sure. All right. Well, anyway. <laughs> it's your podcast, John. My podcast. Um, <laughs> so we wouldn't... So, yes, we... But we also... I made, I said to you, and I meant it at the time. Mm. I meant it at the time, and I still do. <laughs> that, um, obviously, we want somebody who's an actual illustrator as well. We didn't want to just sort of pick someone. But do you ever kind of go, why is it that every time... I end up talking about art, I talk about this. Can, can I ever just talk about pastels? Um, well, well I, I suppose the thing is, hmm, every opportunity uh, to enlighten somebody or to challenge somebody's perception, I think is a good thing. I guess if they're asking, then you're not having to preach, are you? Absolutely. Yeah. I, I question sometimes the motive, um, and I've encountered people in my time who perhaps don't have uh, genuine um, genuine desire to learn or their questioning isn't coming from a place of wanting to learn it's coming from a place of I need to tick a box and and when, when you when you feel that intuitively I think you're for, for me I already feel like well I'm wasting my breath because you've already got that barrier up mm. you've already you're not, you're not really interested but you're in a position where you are now required to uh, instill indigenous perspective or uh, tick off a cultural 
practice box or something uh, for your KPIs and and I, I struggle with that because if you're doing it if you if you're doing it just because somebody tells you you have to then there's no heart in that but if you want to learn if you want to grow if you are genuinely interested then I have all the time in the world to talk you know it, it's like anything yeah because I mean when I came up here today I, I was when I said I had to bring some pictures up that you'd left in my car thank you <laughs> and um which you hadn't missed apparently um <laughs> and, <laughs> and you I saw the to, state of my studio yeah right mm. and um I had to but I didn't really even know what we were going to talk about until you mentioned where you'd been yesterday. Mm. So that sort of came out of that organically. But mm -hmm. um, it's different, I suppose. If some, uh, maybe I don't actually. This is never a question, is it? I'm just trying to process what you just said. Sure. Well, <laughs> don't take it personally because that's not what I was asking. No, 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 no. But it's um, yeah. I suppose it's. I'm still learning. I, I'm. I'm still learning. I think. We're all still learning, I hope. Oh, we hope so, yeah. But um, I'm still learning in this industry um, because it's a little fascinating to me that you you publish one book and then suddenly publishers like Penguin are emailing you saying, would you like to work with us? Never in my wildest dreams did I think that that was going to happen. And, you know, I, I couldn't help but question, is this on merit or is this on um, being black? And now I'm wondering that I'm a little further into it, whether it's important or not. I don't think I care so much anymore. But at the time I thought, is this because you want my skill set and my art? Or is it because you want my perspective? Um, or is it because uh, it's a marketing thing and you want us to be able to say, we've got a black indigenous uh, illustrator working on this as well? Well, at, at first, I'm kind of wondering whether yeah, yeah, they're no, important anymore. Yeah, at first, um, when you first think about that, you go, well, the first two of those two, the, the merit, the artistic merit and the perspective thing, they seem like honourable reasons to... Yeah. The third one, not so much. But then, but then you think, you go a little bit sort of deeper into the, the organism of a publisher, mm -hmm. even though that feels very kind of... Um, mercenary and pragmatic mm. is it because they genuinely want to have those voices and so, have, so, so I don't yeah. know it's, it's, it's in my experience um, I've worked with um, I, I've worked with a couple of editors and uh, they've all been really really lovely one I genuinely feel has that uh, in their in their approach to creating books with uh, Indigenous content, uh, one not so much, and it's quite apparent, mm -hmm. and it's really difficult. Uh, and, and I've worked with some in my very short little experiences and illustrated. I've worked with some beautiful, amazing editors, and uh, the people that don't understand. Goodness, I hope I'm not singling anyone out, but the people who don't understand or don't, they're not interested. It's very apparent. The, the people who aren't interested in, um, uh, as you, how did you put it before, um, you know, having those uh, honourable sort of goals in mind mm. when approaching an Indigenous uh, illustrator Even or sort author. Organisational genetic level kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. So there, there are those that have and then there are those that have not. And 
it, it's apparent. And so it's just an extra thing that makes you a little cynical, I guess. Um, but ultimately, if there is a book out in the world that has substance to it and good content, then you know that's that's what we hope to achieve. So, final question, which mm-hmm. a bit of a thought experiment. If if somebody were to come, if you were to do a picture book, mm-hmm. and it had zero overtly indigenous references in it, a would you ever make that? And B, what would your response be to somebody who comes to you and goes, you're an Indigenous illustrator, why are there no Indigenous kids in your book? Um, good question. I actually, I, I think I've told you about a project that I have on Horizon, which is like a passion project, and it's, um, I hope it eventuates. It doesn't, it doesn't have any Indigenous um, themes or content at its core, or anything really throughout if it was relevant to the story and if there is an opportunity to um, uh, include uh, minority representation I like to to try and put that in Um, be it race be it ableism be it uh, you know uh, gender you know any of those things yeah I think that those things are important um, to put in as normal uh, fixtures within a story. Well, at the end of the day, even if you went to a if you went to a class of thirty kids anywhere in, in Australia, even if there were no Indigenous kids in that class, there's going to be someone in there who is either neurodivergent yeah. or yeah. there's going to be some diversity in that group. Yeah. So, are you, do you think that it's more an idea? It's more conveying the idea of diversity is to be respected and honoured and and all that rather than necessarily a specific minority. Yeah, I think I think to normalise those things because um, you know it's wonderful to have books that focus in on that mm. um, and, and they're important books. I also like books where the focus isn't on perhaps a same sex couple, uh, but merely the same sex couple exists within the, in the story making it making it normal it is normal uh and yes we need those books that that uh focus and celebrate uh those minority groups as much as we need the books in my opinion that uh the those minorities are subliminal you know so which is the great genius of you know organizations like pixar that put together these mm. these movies where any diversity and any any secret superpower, if you like, of yeah. somebody who's who's um, diverse is it's, not, it's even removed from the you know. If, for example, Nemo has one fin that's shorter than the other, and yeah. finding Nemo, and so well, even uh, but I'm I'm talking about even more subtle than that. So uh, what well, more subtle than finding Nemo? More subtle than My finding gosh, Nemo's little fin. Is that fin. possible? Well. <laughs> <laughs> The fact that it's part of part of his journey and part of it still it still uh, has relevance to that story. As an illustrator, you've got this ability to go beyond the text, and and you can almost include, provided it's contextual, you can almost uh, include, you know, anything you like. I know in a couple of books I've snuck in uh, references. I've hidden my kids in one of the books. I've 
appeared in an ex-husband on a very racist page because he was a racist jerk. Uh, his mother as well. You know this is a podcast, right? I know. I hope he's listening. He won't. He's not that kind of guy. He's not informed. Um, anyway. Anyway. But if you are listening, don't at me. <laughs> um, no, but I think, I, I, I think that... Uh, so to go back to the book that's on the horizon... It is a book about uh, an incredible idol of mine who uh, rocked the music world uh, in the 80s and 90s. Um, now, she uh, was an Australian idol, so I already know that contextually I can include as the backdrop, I can include Australia. Australia is multicultural. Australia has First Nations history. I, I can already... I'm trying to work out who we're talking about. Don't. No, listen. We're not talking about science fiction books, are we? Um, no, I'm, I'm trying to work out who you're talking about in terms of yeah, the, yeah, yeah, the, yeah. the singer. And well, the boys were in town we're last talking night. Ah, uh, Chrissy Ampler, right? I don't, I don't know. I don't know what I'm talking about. Okay. I don't know what you're saying. Um, anyway, but my my point is, is that when I go to thinking about that story and the illustrations that flow with that, obviously it's going to be about somebody's life. It's going to be about where that person grew up. Uh, it's going to, you know, if, if the story explores all of that. So what I have at my uh, disposal, I guess, is the ability to, if, if I'm depicting a particular person in a, a classroom setting somewhere, I, I can, I can put minorities, minority representation there in subtle ways. Um, provided it is contextual I can put multiculturalism in um, however that wouldn't make much sense if the story was set in uh, you know perhaps a very Anglo setting uh, you know so you've got to you've got to stay within uh, you know I, I think uh, realms of realism to some extent but the, I think gentle nods you know what I really love sorry to interrupt but one, one thing I, I really love is something I've noticed when I've gone to Indigenous communities in Western Australia and so forth to do work. Yeah. And quite often there'll be a Chinese kid in the group. Yeah. Or a or a Malaysian kid. And yeah. either the often the parents are the doctor and the nurse, or they might run the Chinese restaurant, or they might be the engineer at the mine or whatever. Yeah. But it's it's sort of it's almost like compared to compared to Anglo centric Australia where you've got a room full of white and then a couple of darker faces, perhaps. Yeah. This is sort of... It's almost like looking at a negative. It's, it's really interesting to well, sort of see the... the but it's, I think historically as well, if you yeah. look at Australia's history and uh, migration and that there was huge uh, Japanese uh, community and China Chinese community in Broome. In Broome, yeah. Uh, with pearling and mm -hmm. things. So you've got to think about the industry of Australia and, and what we attracted uh, in terms of work opportunities and what legacies there are of those times and who remains there. So those it's just, kids... It's always a, just a, a kind of little bit, little bit of a, a kind of um, jolt when I get walking. Like, I think I was, yeah. was either Mika Thara or, or, um, or Calgo, uh, Yalgo or one of those yeah, right. really, really remote communities in Western Australia. We had to fly for like two hours in a Cessna to get to them. Oh, cool. And, there's all these indigenous kids and yeah. there's a Chinese kid at the, <laughs> like, well, what are you doing here? He's like, oh, my, my dad's a doctor. Like, 
Well, interesting point though. Interesting to to talk about, um, you know, uh, racially identifying uh, people. Mm-hmm. So to depict indigenous kids um, or you know Aboriginality in books, uh, and I, I think this is an important one. Uh, this is something that's close to my heart. But Aboriginality is not skin colour. So as an illustrator, that's as an Indigenous illustrator, I think that's a really important thing to consider mm-hmm. and to not tokenise what it is to be Aboriginal. Um, I know that Jasmine Seymour with Baby Business does a beautiful way of uh, exploring different skin tones in her book, uh, but also demonstrating that this, this collection of people that you see here, they're all mob. They're all different colours and they are all mob. Um, and they are on country. They are connecting uh, with mob. Uh, their ancestry is there. That Those things are, are what makes people Aboriginal. Well, it would be remiss of me at this stage not to mention that my wife is 1% Inuit. Inuit? Yeah. 1%? Yeah, so... That's wh- another thing we don't do in Australia. Percentage. I know we don't. But <laughs> I, I know, I know, I know that because no I've spent blood a lot of, quantum. I'll, yeah, but the point is, I'm, mm. the point I'm making, Charmaine, is yeah. that it was very hard to convince her when we were at the beach the other day and there were some people trying to put a sea kayak in the water. Yeah. Convince her that because your <laughs> your ancestry because you says can, you can because ancestry.com <laughs> said you were one percent in your it doesn't you mean me you can go and help those people launch their sea kayak. <laughs> it's not your people. <laughs> I don't know, Jane. She might be pulling some skills that and you she, don't even she, know. She pulled a kind of tea bag analogy, T is T, you know, you This is did I share that analogy with you? Yes, or? but can you yes. just very quickly wrap it up? Because I shared it with someone just yesterday as Yay. well. Yay! Yeah, so what's the teabag analogy in terms tea bag, of... Okay, so this is a book idea that I've pitched with Magabala recently. Oh, should we not talk about it? No, that's okay. It's not my idea. Mm. It is not my idea. Mob know this idea. Mob talk about this all the time, and I love it. And that's why I, I think if I don't do it, somebody needs to do it because kids need to see this. Kids who... Um, Indigenous kids as much as non-Indigenous kids, and I'll get to that in a sec... The, the analogy is that tea, tea is tea. If I make you a cup of tea and I say, how would you like it? And you say, I'll have white and one. So I put, white, I, I put milk in your tea. Mm-hmm. I put a sugar in your tea. Mm-hmm. Is it still tea? Well, of course. Of course it is. If you like it really milky, is it still tea? Yes, of course. If you like it black, is it still tea? Sure. It's still tea. It's still a cup of tea. So, one, does one dunk of a tea bag make a tea? Yes. It does, doesn't it? Of course, exactly. So, and does Ancestry.com saying you've got 1% Inuit give you oh. authority to tell someone how to launch a seat kayak? Do you know what? I actually... <laughs> or, or how to skin a fur seal. I've gotten into debates with my family about Ancestry.com and I don't think we've got enough time to explore my no. theories on Ancestry.com. And I don't know how it, relevant it would be, but sure. Well, when it comes to Aboriginality, the, the data just isn't there. Yeah, yeah. So. No, I understand. But, um, but the teabag the tea analogy... Um, yeah, I, I think that that is a really important one. There was something I was going to say about it. Well, you said it's important for Indigenous kids to know, but also for non-Indigenous kids, you said. For non-Indigenous kids, right. So I had a, I had a friend recently, I don't know whether I told you this, but uh, she, she said something so confronting and shocking and hurtful that was so innocuous 
Um, but a very, very, very close friend uh, grimaced when I said something about being black. And now, black in Australia is, um, I, I guess, it comes from Destiny Deacon, who is an artist, um, an amazing Indigenous artist, and she coined the term uh, to, it, you know, it was a derogatory term and she decided to turn it on its head and it's now a really empowering term, but it's B-L-A-K, mm -hmm. the C is dropped uh, for reasons I, I probably can't say. I didn't realise that came say. from an epithet kind of, I didn't realise that came out of a, an insult. Yeah, well, oh. black. No, but you, that's, well, that's, I, don't, I don't understand why that spelling was seen. Do you want to well. beep me out on this? But it comes from... She dropped the C yeah. because she was tired of being called, called you black little C. black C. Mm. So she got rid of the C. Fair enough. And it's black and it's empowering. And it applies... Because I've seen the word, I just didn't understand the, yeah. the well, origin of that. Yeah. And, and so the book that I want to do with Magabala, because Magabala are the most incredible Indigenous publishing house, mm. um, I, I want to explore that and I want to call it Black Tea. B-L-A-K-T because that that terminology I think in the same way that deadly means awesome to mm -hmm. mob mm -hmm. uh, means amazing things you know I was thinking of poor Cassius and I was thinking of we want our children to be deadly not dead um, I wish I'd put that on a banner took it down last night but um, but black B-L-A-K uh, I, I said something to a friend uh, at the pub recently about being black and she grimaced and she said, don't you mean mixed? And it stung so much. And this is where fair-skinned racism, uh, my experiences, uh, you, you could say that it was ignorance, um, but she knows, she knows that I'm Aboriginal. Mm. What made her decide to question, or what made her decide to be authority on my identity and say, you're not, you're not Aboriginal, you're mixed? identify yourself properly she was correcting me mm. right I don't want any any other indigenous person to experience anything like that anything like Cassius my god like but any any kind of racism and Australia is so casually racist the tiny little things that we say you hear enough of that it it breaks you down to, to constantly be scrutinized it's it's disgusting it's soul-destroying and I, I actually cannot talk to that person anymore. Um, I, I sat down with her and I explained why it was so wrong. Um, and I still don't think she really got it. And in fact, she Would blamed it on somebody else. Would it have been salvageable if she had said, I, I see your point? Or do you think it was sort of after years of knowing you and still being that it was probably too far gone? Not that that. Well, absolutely. If somebody, you know, I, I like to say this a lot that, you know, I think you can work with ignorance, you can't work with arrogance. If somebody is so firmly fixed in their point of view, you you know you've got too much life to live to try and challenge that person's uh, perspective. You can only challenge it so much until you go. I, I'm out of options. You know what? You sit there over there with your views. Um, ignorance, on the other hand, I think implies that there is an openness and willingness yeah. to learn. As I said before, we're all ignorant on a whole bunch of things in life. Absolutely. In the universe. Absolutely, but it's about being humble and it's about being open and certainly not judging somebody else. So, so yeah, black tea, um, Aboriginality, it, skin colour, all of those things, yeah, um, that tea analogy works for me. It does. And so 
I was going to ask you what your favourite brand of pastel is, but I think we'll just... <laughs> Schminky. Short answer. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds great. Listen, thank you so much for chatting with me and for the podcast and being so open and generous with your time and, and all those things. And um, it's been, as always, enlightening and fun to converse. <laughs> thank you, James. Where can we find you? You're an Insta person, aren't you? I am on Insta and my website is... Um, a you know, under construction, let's say. So what's your Insta? Uh, Ledden Lewis Art. L-E-D-D-E-N-L-E-W-I-S Art. Yeah, so Ledden underscore Lewis underscore oh, Art. Ledden, Sorry. don't forget the underscores. Okay. Underscore. I should make it easier somehow, shouldn't I? But mm-hmm. I've started. Mm-hmm. Keep going. Thanks for talking to us. Thank you.